Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. <laughs> We're continuing our series today called Wonder. Somebody say wonder. Say wonder. And we're basically exploring the beauty and the mystery of God. And, and when we talk about worship, that's really what we do in worship. We're really setting our attention. We're setting our affections on the Lord. We're saying, Lord, you, you're on my mind. You're on my heart, Lord. I'm, I'm being affectionate. I'm, I'm expressing. And uh, what I've found is oftentimes in worship, you normally have two kinds of people, right? You have those that put their attention on the Lord, and then you have those that put their affection on the Lord. And so some people are really expressive, and they're, you know, uh, they're, they're putting all their affections on the Lord, but maybe their mind's not there. And then you have other people that are real contemplative, and they're just like, yes, Lord, mm-hmm. right? Man, I... That may be even super like charismatic for them. Yes, Lord, that's like way intense. But I believe the Lord wants to, to wherever you're at, God wants to kind of bring you in. And so you're both that you're setting your attention, come on, and your affection. You're giving the Lord some demonstration, come on, of praise. And you're saying, Lord, I demonstrate my affections towards you. It's not just in my heart. That's great that it's in your heart, but you need to get it out of your heart and into your body, come on. And uh, and some of you need to, like, set your attention on the Lord. You need, to, you need to get your attention there. You need to lead your attention there. So we're discovering the Lord. We're focusing our attention, our affection, that word wonder actually means this, the cause of astonishment or admiration. That we look at God and we say, man, God, I am astonished. Lord, I admire you because you, you are incredibly beautiful, that you are inc- incredibly glorious. That, that word wonderful means that God is full of wonder, that, that his wonder cannot be exhausted, that we're just like, whoa, God, you're so wonder. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. The first part of the word wonder is whoa. And so when we stand before God, we should be, we should be blown away away by his beauty. And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We talked about that, 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 every, that God is wonderful, that he's filled with wonder, but also that everything God does is wonderful, that God only does good things. And, you know, God, one of the things that God did is he made you, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And David makes this statement. He says, Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? I, I see the stars and I see how you've put them, put them in place and I see how you, 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 you hold them right there where they need to be. But Lord, what is man? Who am I that you are mindful? And, and who, who you are is, is your God's creation, that he c- created you in the image of God. And, and, and you are also wonderful that you are wonderful, and he saw you so wonderful that he had paid a high price for you. So the, the idea of this message is that many people are lost wondering about God. But God wants a people that are lost in wonder of him, that you would be lost in the wonder of God, that you would be so captivated and so fascinated by the beauty of God, and, uh, and you would be locked in, and your heart wouldn't wonder, right? You'd be caught up in wonder so your heart doesn't wonder, right? So 
When we talk about God the Father, it's easy to say, man, he's so mysterious, he's so out there. And when we look at Jesus, a lot of times we think, well, Jesus, you know, the thing I like about Jesus is he was, he's just like me. He's just a man. Well, first of all, that's not right. He isn't just like you. He's, he's creating you. He's recreating you in his righteousness. However, Jesus was completely fascinated. This is why people are following Jesus for, for 2,000 years after he was on the scene. Uh, and I believe he's still on the scene, come on, by his spirit through his Bride, and it says this uh, in that Jesus was filled with wonderful words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 says, The crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he thought he taught with real authority. They had these guys just teaching all this stuff, all these people that claimed to be God's representatives, and they just had all this data, and they had all this information, but they didn't really have any real authority. And so here's Jesus showing up in his teaching, and they're blown away because Jesus is teaching with wonder-filled words. And the other thing that we see is that Jesus was filled with wonderful works. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 43, it says, uh, it says the people were all, all gripped, the people were as they saw the majestic display of God's power. So the people saw the majestic display of God's power, and that caused them to be awestruck. They were like, whoa, look at God move. God is moving. So Jesus was filled with, with wonder-filled words, and Jesus was filled with wonderful works. And then we see this right here in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 26. This, you guys know the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed guy where they tore off the roof and they lowered him through the roof. We'll talk about that at another time. It says this, that right after that happens, and Jesus uh, tells the guy, he's like, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk. And then it says this, that everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And that word, awe, is the word ecstasias. And that is like a state of ecstasy, that they were just like, they were like dumbfounded. They were bewildered. They were perplexed with amazement. It, it's the same word that we would use today for the word trance. So it's like people saw Jesus and they were just like, whoa. They were totally caught off guard. They were just fascinated by what Jesus was doing. And then it says in Mark chapter 9, 15, you okay? It says, as soon as the people saw Jesus, and I love this right here. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. They were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran out to greet him. So they were like, whoa, whoa. They were like overwhelmed. They weren't like, well, that's nice. They weren't like, that's awesome. They were like, whoa, I'm filled with wonder. Wow. This is overwhelming. Jesus, wow. And it says that they ran out to meet him. They, they stopped what they were doing. If they were in the workplace, they, they got up and they ran out to meet Jesus. If they were at home, you know, kind of sitting on their phone, they got up and threw everything down and they ran out to meet Jesus. There was an urgency in their spirit because Jesus is a man that is full of wonder. He's worth marveling at. And so they dropped what they've done. Are you living with an expectation of what Jesus will do? Do you wake up on Sunday mornings going, oh, man, what am I going to wear today? Just kind of, kind of, you know, mm, just kind of go and check my church box. Or do you wake up thinking, Jesus, will you be there today? Will you meet me? What will you do? What will you say? Will you have, make room in my heart for more of your presence? Do you live with an expectation? Do you live according to monotony and you kind of live by the grind? Or is your heart exhilarated by this beautiful man, Jesus, who has something good for you every day?
That's why it's called daily bread, right? It's daily bread. It's, it's there every day. There is something for you to feast on from the Lord every single day. And so the people were filled with wonder. They were amazed by Jesus. There's another guy in Scripture who was filled with wonder today, and that's what I want to focus on. His name's Zacchaeus. You guys, you guys, if you grew up in church, you've been in church any amount of time, or you read your Bible, this story stands out. And we know we have a little song about it. I, I, I don't know all the words of the song, but we have a song about it. It says something about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You ever heard that? Maybe you had a felt board at one point, and you put pictures on there, or you looked at a, a really poorly done art Bible or something that was done with really bad illustrations. And so we have this picture of this guy named Zacchaeus, and this is the story. It's not just a cute Bible story, by the way. You, you know, we, we think all these little, you know, you start getting into the, into the grit of Scripture, and you realize they're not just, some of them aren't really safe for kids. And, uh, and so we run into this guy, Zacchaeus, and it says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he's like vertically challenged behind the crowd. Can you, can you put me up on your shoulders? Well, nobody likes him because he's a chief tax collector. He's trying to see where is Jesus. So he could not see because of the crowd. So he ran ahead. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree. To see him, since Jesus was coming that way. He knew where Jesus was heading, so he's wanting to get in front of where Jesus was going. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him. Here's Zacchaeus up in a tree. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, 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 mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, if I've done anything wrong, I will pay them back four times the amount. I mean, you know, he's repenting. He's changing his mind. He's, changing. He's pulling a Kanye, right? He's switching things up. And a lot of people are going to sit around and go, sinner. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Basically, he's saying he's in. He's in. You call him a lost sinner, I say he's a son of Abraham. He's in. And I'm going to his house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So Zacchaeus went from a man who was lost in sin to a man who was lost in wonder. See, Zacchaeus had some issues. He was a sinner. I mean, the, the, what people were saying about him was absolutely true. He was, chief word there, was a sinner. He was a tax collector. Now, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. That means, like, he was one of the top dogs in the government. 
a very corrupt government. He would have been considered a mobster, a villain of society, a politician, an extortionist. Known, this is what they would do as tax collectors when it was time to pay your taxes. You know, nobody likes paying their taxes. Right? I heard one time you only got to do two things in life. You got to pay taxes and die. Some people figure out a way to get out of that first one. Mm. So he goes, people would go to pay their taxes, and the tax collectors were so corrupt, they would say, well, the rate today (laughs) is not 15%, it's actually 25% today. And you just had to pay it. And what they would do with that extra 10% is they would stick it in their pocket. This is how he got rich. And so tax collectors were known to be sinners because they were thieves. And they were mobsters. Hey, come on. Come on over here, Peter. It's time to pay your taxes. It's probably not even the right, I don't know, accents. Is that a good one, babe? Hey, call him out back. We got a little prize for you. Get in the car. All right. That's so bad. So here he is. Now, this is the thing. He was considered a lost sinner because, it, because Zacchaeus is actually a Jewish name. It's not a Roman name. So Zacchaeus is actually a Jew. Zacchaeus is actually a son of Abraham who, who now is a traitor because he's joined the other side. He's joined the opponents of the Jews, the Romans. And Jesus came to oppose the Romans. This is why he was rejected. He actually didn't come to oppose the Romans. He came to rescue anybody and everybody. He came to make the way. And that's why he was so rejected by the Jews. So we know he was a lost sinner. He was working for a corrupt government. And he was rich. He's a rich man. Now, we all know the, the history with rich people. Nobody likes rich people. Only rich people like rich people. I mean, isn't that usually the consensus? So here he is complaining, oh, if I would have been raised in the same family as like, yeah, I would have money too. So being rich seemed to be a stumbling block for many. They were always despised. The rich were always despised by the multitudes. Even Jesus, when approached by a rich man, just a couple of chapters before this, right? Y'all know the story of the rich young ruler who was actually the poor young slave? Because he was a slave to money. Jesus said, he said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, just get rid of everything and come follow me. And it said that he went away sad. Well, here's another rich man who doesn't go away sad. He actually comes in glad. Because he was more caught up in the beauty of Jesus than the beauty of things. So he was rich, and then we know he was small. (laughs) I mean, when you have a song, We Little Man Was He, about you, it's just not good news. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that is like, that is is therapy waiting to happen. So here's Zacchaeus, insecure guy, you know, probably under five foot tall, most... Uh, theologians and historians show us they probably had all the things that were connected to that, insecurities. However, he had something going for him. He had something going for him. See, Zacchaeus has this childlikeness about him, doesn't he? I mean, when we think of Zacchaeus, we think he's just this, I mean, we don't think of him as the, the mobster, right? I mean, we, we do because we know historically that's what 
tax collectors were, but, but, but he has this lightness about him. I mean, he's running. First of all, like, Jews don't run. Jewish men don't run. And second of all, he's climbing a tree. I mean, who does that? Nathan had a response for that first service. It was really funny, but he missed, you, missed it. you missed your opportunity. So he's running, and he's climbing trees. A grown man. You're a grown man. I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, Zacchaeus, you are a grown man. Stop running and stop climbing trees, right? But this is actually a virtue. His childlikeness is actually a virtue. In fact, it's the virtue that gets him connected to Jesus. It's the single virtue. What's interesting is just two chapters before this, we have a couple of parables. And one of those parables is the story of a Pharisee or religious person and a tax collector, and they're praying. It's a parable. And the Pharisee says this about the tax collector. He says, he's praying, he says to the Lord, I thank you that I am not like him, a sinner. Then we have the story of the rich man who went away sad, all right before this chapter, right? So Jesus is weaving all these things in, and then he's illustrating that you can come into the kingdom even if everybody else thinks you're a sinner. You can come into the kingdom even if you're rich. You can come in. I'm making a way for you. And then he says this in Luke 18, a chapter right before this. So we have all these things kind of building up, right? Kind of, kind of hints to the life of Zacchaeus. Tax collector? rich man. And then Jesus says this in Luke chapter 18. We love this passage. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. When the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Don't you know Jesus has important things to do? Then Jesus called for the children. Bring them over here, he said to the disciples. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. And then he makes this statement. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Now, Jesus didn't say the kingdom belongs to children. Many people have misquoted it. He says the kingdom of God, I love children, I embrace children, but he says this, the kingdom of God belongs to those that are like children. And then he repeats it. Look, continue. I tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. The only way to get into the kingdom of God is to be like a child. It's to be like a child. It's to be like Zacchaeus. He was a sinner. He was rich. He had physical limitations. But guess what? He had a child likeness about him. See, we can only come into the kingdom of God, and this is where people missed it with Jesus. We can only come into the kingdom of God as children because the kingdom of God is a family. The kingdom of God is not a typical military-based, government-ran system like you would think. The kingdom of God is a family. So Jesus says, we're all going to have the same dad. So you've got to be born Again, you've got to become like a child to get this kingdom. The kingdom is great. And when you become like a child, you're not a sinner anymore. 
you're a son. You're a daughter. You're a part of the family, and not just any family. God's family, a royal family. You get to be part of the royal family if you will be born again, if you become like a child. Throw off your dignity. Throw off your, your, your imposed self-value and get into how God values you because he values you, values you like a royal son and daughter. You're part of the royal family. I know we watch them all on TV to watch their weddings. I don't get that. I'm part of the royal family. Shoot. All right. Nobody tuning into my channel. All right. So what do we see? What are the marks of Zacchaeus? Well, first of all, we see this curiosity. We see this curiosity to willing to get above the crowd to, to see Jesus from a different angle. We see him running ahead and climbing a tree. Did you know that God wants you to have a holy curiosity in your pursuit of him? God wants you curious about God. And being remaining curious is, 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 is so critical. If we do not maintain a curiosity about God, this is what will happen. We'll get bored spiritually. And some of you, that's where you're at. You're bored. You're serving God. You might not have a lot of sin in your life. You're faithful to the Lord, but you're bored. Why? Because you've lost your curiosity. See, God always has something new for you. Check this out. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, just verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. I mean, God is... Holds all things, so he conceals things. But to search a matter out, the thing that is concealed, to search that thing out is the glory of kings. So for you, when you came a part of this royal family and you took on this kingdom identity, you now have the privilege and the honor to let your curiosity provoke you to explore God's mystery, to explore the things that God hides. He's not hiding things from you. He's hiding things for you. He's saying, will you search out the mysteries? Will you be curious? See, his wonder cannot be exhausted. And some of you are bored spiritually because you forgot that. You think, I got God kind of figured out. We're good. He's got so much more for you, beloved. I don't say this as a rebuke. I say this as an invitation, beloved. God has so much of his nature that he wants you to know. That he wants you to know. And God is, God is so infinite. Uh, there's this great quote from G.K. Uh, Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton that says, and I love this. I heard this, I don't know, about six weeks ago, and it just rocked me. And I'm going to read it to you today. For grown-up grown people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. In other words, we're not, we can't be exhilarated in the mundane or the consistency, the schedule. This is what he says. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. Is it, is it possible that, that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? And every evening, do it again to the moon? It may not be automatic necessary that may, it might not be automatically necessary that he makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes all daisies separately, but has never got tired of making them. 
Maybe God makes all daisies the same. But he never gets tired of making them. It may be, and I love this so much, tune into this. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, but our father is younger than we. Not younger in wisdom, he's the ancient of days, but younger in innocence. There is something about God that is childlike, that enjoys what he creates, that creates a daisy and says, man, look how beautiful it is. I've been creating them for thousands of years. And look how awesome it is. Look at the leaves, how they curve. God is is fascinated (laughs) even by what he does. How much more should you be fascinated by the things that God does? So there's some things that squelch our curiosity, right? There's things that, that squelch it. The first thing is making excuses. One of the greatest things that squelches your curiosity and God is making excuses. Zacchaeus had an excuse. I can't see, Jesus. You made me this way. You made me short, Lord. So I guess it just wasn't God's will for me to see Jesus when he came to town. He wasn't concerned about the will of God. He was concerned about Jesus. He wasn't concerned about his dignity. He was running. He wasn't concerned about his dignity. He was climbing a tree. He didn't care what anybody thought. He was just interested in seeing Jesus. And he wasn't making an excuse going, this is the way I am. This is the way I was raised. I'm a product of my environment. No, he was saying, forget the excuses. I want to know who Jesus is. Beloved. Will you lay down the excuse of that's not the way I am. That's not the way I'm wired. That's not how I was raised. That's not how my family brought me up. I'm new in the Lord. Forget all that. It's Jesus. He's in town. Let's get out to meet him. Or are you caught up in your comfort? I want to know the Lord, but not that much. The second thing that will squelch our curiosity is being unteachable. You know, when you get about, for, for guys, it's like when we're 12. For most people, it's, you know, most people, it's like 18 years old. They start making this statement, I know. You ever make that statement? I know. Like, other words, don't tell me anything. I know. It's an unteachable spirit. You're a know-it-all. Right? I know you're, I'm smart and everybody needs to know. You're know-it-all. First of all, it's annoying. <laughs> Second of all, it's hindering you in your pursuit of curiosity. Because you don't look at things that are unknown as a gift. You look at them as leverage. Dang, that'll preach. You're not using the things that you know to provoke you to pursuit you're using the things you know as leverage to make way for people to look a certain way for credibility. See, sometimes our biggest problem is what we do know. It's not about what you don't know. It's not about, it's not about your lack of education. You're educated. The problem is, is you probably know more than you should Or maybe you know just the right amount. You're just not doing the right thing with the knowledge. So sometimes our biggest issue 
is what we do know. Well, God would never do that. I've seen, I've seen people that had, that had spiritual experiences when they were eight, nine years old. They can't get over it. Now, you shouldn't get over any encounter with the Lord, but they can't get over the way that it came. They think now anytime God moves, it has to, he has to move like I was when I was eight. They got to sing the songs that I was singing when I was eight. They got to respond the way that people did when I was eight years old. Why? Because now you have this knowledge as a reference point, and it's, it's ruining you from experiencing something new. And it squelched your curiosity in God. You okay? So we have capabilities. We have knowledge. All those things are great. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll start trusting our experience. We'll start trusting our knowledge. We'll start trusting our capabilities. And we'll stop trusting God. It's like we think, we're, I can do this. Uh, Psalm chapter 78, verse 9. The warriors of Ephraim... Though armed with bows, soldiers, warriors, they turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. Why? It's always a good question to ask when you read Scripture. Why? Because they did not keep God's covenant. And they refused to live by His instructions. Why? Verse 11, they forgot what He had done. The wonders He had showed them. They forgot the God of wonders. And they started trusting themselves more than they trusted God who had done things in the past. Beloved, don't be unteachable. The third thing is this, is looking elsewhere. Looking elsewhere. These are things that squelch curiosity, making excuses, being unteachable, looking elsewhere. See, we must learn to direct and lead our curiosity. Did you know you have the power to lead your curiosity? Right? Something strikes interest. If you dig into that, your interest will grow. If you ignore it, you'll put your interest somewhere else. Right? You have the ability to do that. And so many times we look elsewhere in our curiosity with God. Sometimes in Christianity, what we do with our wonder in God is that we trust in what a preacher says or a podcast says or a book says or another minister of the gospel. Thank God for all of those things. But those things are meant to supplement your faith. Are you tracking? Can I tell you this? I love that you're here. I love that you're faithful on Sunday mornings. I love that you come and worship, to, worship the Lord together and hear preaching, good preaching, for an hour and, you know, the about an hour and a half, and you're here. I love it that you're here, but it's supplemental. It's just, you know what a supplement is? A supplement is making up, but it's not substance. The real substance, Jesus says, ask the Lord for daily bread. There's a daily bread that you feast on, and it's not the Sunday morning message. That's good for today, but it's not good on Monday. And some of you know that every single Monday. I felt so awesome yesterday, and now today I'm dragging my feet. I'm poking butt. So let's Why don't you have any motivation? Because you're trying to live off the exhilaration from yesterday when Jesus has bread for today. Don't live off supplements. Listen, beloved, you don't, you don't take a bunch of pills. Oh, all right, don't need to eat a meal. Just take a bunch of pills. What will happen? You'll get malnourished. So stop looking elsewhere. We can learn from other leaders, systems. All that's wisdom. It's wise to do that. Do it. Watch 
TV preachers, watch YouTube preachers, watch, you know, listen to books, read books. I'm an avid reader. I read every single day. I do it, but it's all supplemental. It is not the meat. He is the meat. Our discovery of the God of wonder is nourished primarily by setting our attention and our affections by gazing intently at him directly. At him directly, intently. God, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. I'm not looking to the church. I'm looking to you. Is the church awesome? Yes, but you're looking to him. He's your bridegroom. So, stop looking elsewhere. Stop asking so many questions of everybody else. Ask God. There's nothing wrong with asking people questions, but ask God. Don't ask with like a bitter spirit. Go before the Lord and ask the Lord. You know, the most revelation I've ever, I ever get from the Lord is when I sit down with his word and I ask the Lord, why? Lord, why? Why does that work? I just did that with the scriptures. Why? Why? Oh, oh. And then you're like hammered on it. You're like, man! You're telling everybody, and they're like, yeah, I've read that before. They don't get it, though. Why? Because you asked why. You learned why. And the why is leading to another why. The why isn't an invitation to say, cool, awesome, great. We'll camp out here. Good for the rest of my life. You don't do that with a meal. I don't, no matter how big my meal is and how full I'm going to get at lunch because I'm hungry, no matter how full I get, I'm still going to be hungry tomorrow. I'll still need nourishment for tomorrow. So stay curious. Stay curious. And by that, we are saying that we are going to embrace. And this is what people do. We say, we say this. Something doesn't go our way, and this is what we say. God is a mysterious God. Don't we say that? We, we say it like it's a bad thing. Like, God's mysterious. Like, everything's hidden. Hey, bro. The glory of kings is searched out. Search the mystery. Search the mystery. Search him out. It's not a closed door. Mystery is an open door in the kingdom. Okay, look. I love what Bill, John- Bill Johnson deals with this so good, so I'm just going to read what he says about it. The quest for answers sometimes leads to a rejection of mystery. As a result, mystery is often treated as something intolerable instead of a real treasure. Living with mystery is the privilege of our walk with Christ. Its importance cannot be overrated. If I understand all that is going on in my Christian life, I have an inferior Christian life. The walk of faith is to live according to the revelation we have received in the midst of the mysteries we can't explain. That's why Christianity is called the faith. So we get the revelation. Once it's revelation, it's not mystery anymore. You got that. Let's explore another mystery. Are you exploring the things that you don't know? Are you just content to go, well, God's mysterious God? Great. But you know, Scripture tells us, and we're going to cover this more in the series, that you've been given the Spirit of God, that you can understand the deep things of God by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God that is in you, the Spirit of God that says your son, your daughter. Did you know that that same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit that gives you access to explore God in His holiness and His beauty? So good. So good. The, the next thing, so, so stay curious. Stay curious. The second thing is this, gladness. And I won't spend as much time on this, but listen, He had joy and gladness. And I love this, that when Jesus calls out to Zacchaeus, it says that he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, it tells us two things. First of all, it tells us about Zacchaeus, but it also tells us about the composure of Jesus. Because if Jesus said, now Zacchaeus, 
you filthy sinner. I want you down here now. Would he have responded gladly? No, because joy reciprocates, right? You smile, you get a smile back most of the time. I guarantee you when Jesus smiles, you smile back. If you can get a glimpse of his smile, it'll change everything. Some of y'all think he's frowning. That's why you're so defeated. He's He's in a good mood. I know you're a sinner just like Zacchaeus. I know there's a lot of things in the way, but he's in a good mood. He's, he called your name because he likes you. So good, so good news. I don't get, ever get tired of talking about that. So he came down at once, and, and so, so evidently Jesus is upbeat. Check this out, Luke chapter 12, verse 32. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. We kind of, religion will teach you this. God's pretty mad at you, but Jesus died for you. You're still a sinner, but God will let you into the heaven when you die. It's kind of different than it gives your father great happiness. It gives your father great joy. He's actually really excited about giving you the kingdom. Do you know that God is excited for you to experience his goodness? He's excited to bless you. The kingdom. What is the kingdom? Everything that's under God's rule and reign. Healing, deliverance, freedom, forgiveness, healing of brokenness and bitterness. It's all in the kingdom. And it's the Father's great pleasure to give it to you. Breaking off shame. Some of you have been carrying shame around 30 years. It's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. In this kingdom, there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's an affirming Father who will rebuke your sin, but he'll embrace you as a son and say, son, you don't need that anymore. I want you to come close. Get a little closer. Listen, you've got to get into the joy of the Lord. You've got to embrace his smile because the lasting impact of our encounters will be determined by how much of the joy of the Lord is present to carry them forward. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you don't have joy, the Lord does something in your life. Tomorrow you have a bad day. You forget about the joy from today. We do it all the time. So we've got to have the joy of the Lord to carry and build upon the encounters that we've had. Or we'll start looking at it as God's labor camp. And that's not what Christianity is. We are called to produce joy. Did you know that the joy of the Lord, that joy is just as much as the fruit of the Spirit as (laughs) self-control? Joy of the Lord is just as much of the fruit of the Spirit as patience. Lord, give me patience. You know, we think that this, I do this. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, give me joy. I want to experience joy. That feels so weird, doesn't it? Like there's a shame going on in us. Listen, the devil gets your joy, he'll get your strength. Listen, we, we, we look at patience and we're like, Lord, give me patience. I need patience. I need more love for people. Why don't we do that with joy? Lord, I need more joy in my life. Listen, if you need to enthusiastically serve the Lord, that word in the, in the Greek language is kara. You need the charisma to carry out the work of God. I'm not charismatic. Well, you need to be. Kara. Maybe not like something that you've seen on TV that was a really bad idea of that. Or maybe a good idea. But we're called to produce joy. We're called to produce it. Listen, if you don't have joy, the, jo- the journey will be, will, will be miserable and it will be boring. And if you're like me, one of, the, one of the biggest things that you need to learn is you need to stop taking yourself so serious. 
Because for me, that, is, that will rob my joy like nothing else. I need to be like, relax, don't do it. Right? I mean, that needs to be me. Like most of the time, chill, Josh. It's not that big of a deal. I need to hit those notes. Mm. I'm going to sign up for the worship team. Got a word. Got a song in my heart. All right. It says that's it, that he gave up everything. Jesus, you know, he came down. He's like, hey. Jesus is like, I'm coming to your house today. All right. Gladly he comes down. He's like, yeah, Jesus. You coming over? I'll give, everybody's like, he's a sinner. Jesus, what are you? He's like, I'll give it all away. If I've cheated anybody, I'll pay them back four times. I'll give it all away. Gladly. He didn't answer the demands of Jesus. He gladly gave it up. Beloved, are you gladly giving up some things? We hate the idea of sacrifice. Right? We want comfort. Oh, just comfort me. Just like, listen, sometimes you've got to put forth your sacrifice before you experience the joy. And let me say this one more thing about joy and gladness. If there's an idea this word called holiness, and the reason why we look at the word holiness is a negative thing because it's usually got meanness attached to it, right? Well, that's the holiness of the Lord, right? Has anybody ever been told anything like that? Well, you need to have holiness. You need to have your hair shorter and your skirt longer, right? Heel heels if your shoes cut off and stop wearing so much makeup, right? That's what people think holiness is. Listen, if it doesn't have happiness... Attached to holiness, a holiness that isn't happy isn't holiness. Holiness, holiness is also included in the joy of the Lord. The purpose of it isn't your happiness. The purpose of it is to be set apart for God. But you need to set your joy apart for God. If he will be the joy of your life, will he be the joy? Will you let him be the joy of your life? He wants to be. He wants to be. He wants, he wants you to be more excited about him than the Dallas Cowboys. They're not really worth that much joy. I'm just telling you. Even if they were winning all their games. Even if you put their uniforms on the New England Patriots. I'm telling you, nothing. Sorry. Sorry. Did I lose you? Let me bring you back in. I repent. Sorry. I'm sorry. But people, we went to this game. And people were so excited. I'm like, man. And I know it's like, that's the thing we always say. I wish people would be like that in church. But I was there and I was like, man, I really wish, not so much in church. I just wish that people would be excited about Jesus. Because he's way better. He never loses. Come on. He's like a win. All he does is win, win, win. Right? He's just the winner. And he's good and he's in a good mood. Like, it's crazy. So how do we cultivate childlikeness? I'm hurrying. Listen, number one, God on a limb. Go out on a limb. What does that mean? That means position yourself at a different angle. Get to a place where you can see the Lord differently. What adjustments are you willing to make in your life to see Jesus? What adjustments? Uh, I know. Sacrifice. Are you making room in your heart to wonder? Has your pursuit of God been met at your level of comfort? Listen, if you are not unwilling to get comfortable, 
before God. And especially, I would say, in the place of worship. We come into worship, songs, I don't like those songs, and I don't, I don't like to move around that much. That's not my personality. I just like to be contemplated. Last I checked, the worship is not about you. It's not about the music. It's not about a song. All that stuff's just a vehicle for us to engage the Lord. And I would say this. I would say it means more to God when you worship him to a song you don't like. And you do something that's against your personality. I think it means to God more for you to bring a sacrifice than to you to worship him according to what you're comfortable with. And what happens when we do that, we get the breakthrough in those moments. It bleeds off into our life. So you, we need wild worshipers in here. It needs to be wild. Not because that's your personality, but because he deserves it. Remember that Sunday, I'm going to be like, you got your wild on? Because some of y'all go dancing at clubs and you dance more than you do before the Lord. I'm not rebuking you. I'm just saying, what do you bring in the Lord? Uh, I'm not sorry. Okay. Go out on a limb. Number two, I love you. You know I love you. I'm not mad at anybody, but I did see you on Facebook. All right. Number two, posture yourself. Number one, go out on a limb. (laughs) Go out on a limb, just like I did just now. Go out on a limb. Number two, posture yourself. Posture yourself. Everybody say posture yourself. Listen, Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. He was a traitor. He was working for the Romans now. It's a Jewish name. He never tells Jesus his name. Jesus, Jesus a lot of times is like, hey, who are you? You know, He shows up to Zacchaeus, and he's like, in fact, there's a lot of people in the Scripture, we don't have a name, but here we have a name. Now, he might be a little bit famous or infamous, and he sees Zacchaeus, and he goes, Zacchaeus. What was Jesus saying? Why did Jesus use his name? Well, first of all, I think Jesus is saying, you're a son. That's your Jewish name. That's who I see you as. And the second thing he's saying is, he's saying, your name, Zacchaeus, means pure. I see you as pure in heart. I see you with the holy curiosity. I see you with a joy. I see, I see that you've, been, you've bought into a system, but I believe that there's a purity inside of you. Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm inviting myself over for dinner. Let's do it. Clean. Embrace that. Embrace your clean. He isn't looking at you, poking you up in the tree. When you're trying to look at him and gaze at him and go after him, he's not poking at you and going, you're such a rotten, filthy sinner. Listen, you need to get over that message. You are no, if you're in Christ, if your life is surrendered to Jesus, I'm talking about you've given your life to Jesus. Not just pray to prayer, but you've given your life to Jesus. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are clean. You are not a sinner. You have a royal identity. You were, you were a sinner saved by grace. The grace of God is on your life, and it's way powerful to erase and remove the identity of sinner. That is not who you are. And part of the reason why you keep sinning is because you think you're still a sinner. That's not who you are anymore. Stop it. Embrace your identity. Number three, respond to the invitation. Jesus is inviting himself. Now I'm inviting Leslie. Jesus is inviting himself to your house and to your life. Jesus is inviting himself. See, we talk about all the time about Jesus. Invite Jesus into your heart. Listen, he's inviting himself into your life today. He's saying, would you? 
would you come down? Would you come on over? Let's share a meal together. Let's spend some time together. This is the heart of Jesus for you. He's not caught up in your labels. He's not caught up in your dysfunction. He's not caught up in your past. He's caught up in you. So Jesus makes this final statement. And he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was considered a lost sheep of Israel. And Jesus is saying, I came for you. I came for you, Zacchaeus. You were lost, but I found you, and you found me. And Zacchaeus went from being lost in sin to being lost in Jesus from being lost in sin to being lost in love.